0: The fuel of prayer is answered prayer. It's when we hear the stories of how prayer works that a 14 year old suddenly thinks, well, I want to have a Some go, at guys. was walking through a particular village in, in Asia, in a country where Christians are persecuted. And he got this pain in his knee as he walked past a particular gentleman. He went up to the guy and said, this is going to sound a bit weird, but I believe in God. And I, I think God might have just told me that, have you got a problem with your knee? And the guy looked at him, and said, No. And started laughing. And he said, Oh, I'm so sorry to trouble you. He said, No, you don't understand. Don't you remember? You came to this village last year, and I had a problem with my knee. And you prayed for me, and I was completely healed. And I've been waiting ever since for you to tell me what the power was that cured my knee. And so the guy led him to Jesus there and then. And. The Lord had seen that he was about to walk past the guy having forgotten they'd ever met him before and just gave him that little pain in his knee to say, you need to tell this guy about me. Faith comes through hearing. And if you've only got one answered prayer story, tell it again and again and again until you've got two and faith will grow. The answered prayer stories in the Bible don't disappear when you've read them once. You keep reading them and they keep bringing faith to your life
1: why do we pray? In Acts chapter 2, we see the disciples, the followers of Jesus, joining together in an upper room of somebody's house, all 120 of them, to pray for Jesus to send what he had promised to them, the Holy Spirit. In 250 AD, an African pastor named Cyprian said, let us not cease to pray and give thanks to God. Beginning in 515 A.D. in St. Marie, Switzerland, a monastery has been devoted to praying 24 hours a day over 1,500 years straight. On January 1st, 1739, John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, and some other friends gathered together to pray in the new year in what John Wesley in his journal titled a love feast. And they prayed. And, and John Wesley wrote that at three in the morning, the Holy Spirit came so powerfully on them uh, that they were all just wrecked in a really good way. And when they recovered a little bit from the awe and amazement of what had just happened, they all together in one voice at the same time said, we praise you, O God, we acknowledge you to be the Lord. In La Crosse, Wisconsin, at the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration, they have had at least two sisters on duty praying every hour of the day and night for over a 100 years. And one of their sisters says, can you imagine what the world would be like if no one was praying 24 hours a day? And beginning in 1903 at 312 Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California, a prayer meeting began with a group of unlikely people from all walks of life, uh, from a diverse uh, background of race and socioeconomic status, all came together to begin to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to come and to bring power upon what he was up to. And for three years they prayed and then the Holy Spirit moved. For 2,000 years, people have been praying. The question is, why? We're in a series called Pray. Pause. Rejoice. Ask. Yield. And last week, Sarah began by talking to us about pausing. Pause and allow God to speak. And now we're on to Rejoice. And this week is a big birthday week for our church staff, actually. Uh, we have three people on staff who all have birthdays within a four-day span. Uh, first, Debbie, our Kidstone director, and then Sarah, my wife, our co-lead pastor, and then Mary Ellen, our church administrator. And so all of a sudden this week, I realized that I was the only staff member who did not have a birthday within the next week. And so all the pressure fell onto me. With Rob on sabbatical, it was all on me. And so I had to, to hustle to figure out a way to be able to celebrate and honor all three of them uh, at the same time. No pressure, right? But you know, the first thing that I started thinking was, who are they? What do I know about them? Does Mary Ellen like chocolate cake? Would Dave, Debbie rather have ice cream? At least, thankfully, I know what Sarah's preferences are since I'm married to her. Hopefully, I do. I do know that about her. Uh, but in order to figure out how to best celebrate each person, I needed to know who they are. And Pete, Greg who wrote a book called How to Pray that we've been using a lot in uh, in our preparation for this series. Uh, he wrote that most people's biggest problem with prayer is God. They envision him scowling, perpetually disapproving, disappointed, needing to be placated or persuaded. And if that's how you picture God, I don't really blame you for trying to avoid his gaze. If God's a cranky old man, if he's a mean, uh, angry school teacher, if he's a disapproving new boss, then of course you're not going to want to have a conversation with him. If that's how you vision and and picture God, then yeah, of course prayer is going to be very, difficult. So let me ask you a new question. Who is God? The Westminster Shorter Catechism was written in 1646 as a sort of question and answer for what is Christianity and what do we believe? And it says that the primary purpose of our lives is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. One of humanity's greatest pastimes is asking questions like, who am I? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why do I like to do the things that I like to do? Uh, What's my calling? Or to put it a different way, what am I passionate about? What do I love? We spend hours and hours and hours throughout our life, but especially when we're in our 20s, figuring out the answers to these very same questions. We're passionate about knowing who we are and what we're called to. And yet here in this rather simple and yet extremely outrageous statement written over 350 years ago, we find the answer. Why are we here? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But don't skip over that last part. It's critical. Because you can't enjoy someone that you don't know. You can't glorify the actions or the character of someone that you haven't taken the time to actually get to know. So let me circle back to my first two questions. Why do we pray? You know, sometimes I think we try to answer this question without asking the other question that I asked. Of who is God? But... I think that that's impossible because you can't explain why we pray to God without having a deep and a profound answer for who God is. And here's why. When it comes to prayer, the who comes before the how. The who comes before the how. Jesus taught us to pray by saying these words, Our Father in heaven, let your name be kept Holy. This was his response to the disciples coming to him and saying, "Jesus, teach us how to pray." And in response to asking how, he didn't sit there and say, "Well, you need to do it for about twenty minutes a day. You probably need to find a nice, comfortable chair to sit in. Uh, somewhere that that's, you know you're not easily distracted. Put your phone on do not disturb. Uh, maybe some worship music in the background. Um, let's see what else. No. In response to their question, how do we pray? Jesus said, our Father in heaven, let your name be kept holy. Because when it comes to prayer, the who comes before the how. And this morning, we're talking about the are and pray. Pause and then rejoice. When we think of rejoicing, we often think about parties, right? At least I do. I love parties. I will happily come to your party if you invite me. Feel free to give me invitations to all the parties. I would love to come. Uh, I like celebrating good things that have happened. And we'll do a little bit of that this morning. But this morning, I want us to focus on a a section within rejoicing of adoration. And Richard Foster, author of, of books like The Celebration of Disciplines, said this. Adoration is the desire of the heart to worship, honor, magnify, and bless God, to seek nothing but his exaltation. And we focus on nothing but his goodness. Friends, when was the last time that you adored Jesus, that you sat in his presence with no agenda other than declaring who he is? When was the last time that you just sat in his presence and, and, and enjoyed it. Uh, found, found deep and, and changing joy in that, pray, in that place. This morning we're going uh, to, into the presence of Jesus and I want to invite us to linger before rushing into anything more. This is our agenda. We're going to learn how to adore a God who we know. Will you pray with me? Holy spirit, we just invite you to come and fill us right now, fill our homes, uh, fill our, our, our spaces, the rooms that we're in fill us individually. We, we want to be aware of you. We want to see you more clearly. We want to know you more clearly. We love you, Jesus. We're grateful for you, and I pray this morning that we will learn how to how to better express that gratitude for who you are. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 103. If you just kind of plop it open right in the middle, you'll probably come to the Psalms. It's the biggest book in the Bible, 150 songs or prayers or poems that were all written out of all kinds of times uh, in people's lives, period of doubt and, and peop- periods of thankfulness, uh, places of pain and places of joy. And it's a beautiful place to sit and to begin to learn who it is that God is and what it is that he's doing and and how we can just be in his presence, uh, what we can say to him, uh, what we can uh, acknowledge about him, learn more about our relationship with him. So I want to invite you to read along with me to Psalm 103. Uh, It's a psalm of adoration. Uh, whether you're reading in your Bible or, or uh, below the chat, click on the Bible tab, open it up in your phone, wherever it is that you're at, I want to invite you to read along with me as we look at this model for how to learn who God is and what he's up to. Let's begin in verse 1. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. David, the writer uh, of this song, this psalm, is is super intentional, I think, that this time of praising God isn't happening accidentally. It's a conscious decision, and it's not necessarily one led by feelings. He doesn't say, "I, I sat down and I felt so grateful for what God had done. He said, no, let all that I am. I'm putting all of myself in a place to be able to rejoice, to praise, to give thanks to God. But often, when we go into prayer where we we hope that we have a bunch of, of feelings and we try and uh, we try and work up our feelings before we pray. We we feel like we, we need to have these feelings of gratitude before we can express them to God. But friends just think about it this way. If the only time that I told Sarah that I loved her was when I had a uh, top of the empire state building, sleepless in Seattle sort of feeling of love for my wife, I would not tell her that I loved her very much. Most of us wouldn't tell our spouses that we loved them very much if that was what we were waiting for. And my relationship with her would struggle a lot. But when I tell her that I love her in moments where it takes intentionality, in moments where maybe I'm not feeling it in that same way, uh, then our love begins to grow and deepen both within me and within Sarah. Because she realizes that I'm saying it out of intentionality, that I'm expressing a truth, not necessarily just a feeling in that moment. And you see prayer, praising God, rejoicing at the good things that he has done, adoring God for who he is. When we are intentional about taking time to be in his presence and to say these things, something begins to deepen within us. We start to not just rely on feelings, but we rely on the truth of what it is that we're saying. We begin to change and our relationship with God and to God begins to change. David says, let all that I am with my whole heart. And then he repeats it again. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Let me place my whole self in a place of adoration. And then he begins. He says, he forgives all my sins and heals my diseases. He redeems me from death and he crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us or remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens are above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I love this. It's powerful what David just laid down there. What has God done? He forgives us our sins. Friends, when was the last time that you went into the presence of God and you just sat there and you were just grateful for the sins that he has already forgiven? When was the last time that I just stopped and I, I thought about my sins and I thought about where I could be and yet God. When was the last time I allowed that? Not to put me in a place of shame, but a place of gratitude, of deep and, and never-ending joy, because I realized how good he's been to me. I was headed towards death, and then Jesus came, and he lived, and he suffered, and he died so that I could be free, so that I could be forgiven, so that I could live. For, I, I had very real, I have very real sin in Jesus. Has forgiven us. It's not about shame, it's about gratitude. And then he continues, he heals my diseases. Friends, if you've been healed, you know that this is something worth expressing gratitude for, expressing your joy for. We ask Jesus that it would be even more true in people uh, around us, in people in our lives, that people would be healed from COVID-19, that people would be healed from cancer, from heart disease, from all kinds of diseases. Lord, let that be true in our community around us. He not only saved me from sin, but he fills me with his love and mercy. In my place of anger, of bitterness, of hurt, of brokenness, I have been given love and mercy. He gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. You know what that means? That means that he clears the falsely accused. It means that he goes into situations of abuse of all sorts and that he makes things right. When we sing lyrics like you are here moving in our midst, you are here working in this place, you are here touching every heart, you are here healing every heart, you are here turning lives around, you are here mending every heart. We're intentionally declaring what God has done, what we've seen him done in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We're expressing gratitude for what God has done. But gratitude and thankfulness does not always come naturally to us. You know, think about kids. Honestly, it takes a lot to teach kids to express their gratitude, to, be, to express their thankfulness. It's not that they're not thankful. It's just that they aren't always aware that they need to express that they are thankful. You know, take my daughters, for instance. Sometimes I can be a little bit of a broken record with saying like, what are you gonna say? You know, uh, you know, I, I pause, I wait for them to do it, you know. They they get a little tired of it sometimes, I'm sure. Uh you know, I, I take them to Duncan and I buy them all the donuts that their heart could ever want. And I hand them to them. And you know what they do? They take them and they smash them in their mouths. And then I stand there and I'm like, uh, are you going to say anything? And they're like, mmm, thank you. And, and sprinkles are falling off out of their mouth and all, and all over their lap. Uh, and it's not that that they're they're ungrateful. They give me a perfectly fine, maybe a little late thank you. But when I don't say thank you to them, you know what they do? Man, I get all kinds of sass uh, and talk back for that. But friends, we are the same with God. We're grateful for what he's given us. We're happy that he has given us so much and so many good things that he loves us so much. But often we just sit there and we're smashing donuts, not looking up, not acknowledging him, not doing anything. Because adoring God does not often come automatically. It needs intentionality. Annie Dillard once wrote that if we practice gratitude, a time will come where we will say not please, but thank you. And what she's saying is that we'll move from asking for more to being content, grateful for the things that we've already been given. Our perspective begins to change from what we don't have and want to what we have already been given. And then our hearts begin to change we begin to rejoice with reverence. We we magnify God. We give glory to God for, for what he's done, for how great that he is. Uh, we begin to realize that we can't say enough about his goodness and love because he loves us so much. We couldn't begin to talk enough about it. We would run out of words. We would run out of things to be able to say because he's been so good to us. He's given us so many things. Uh, as the full picture comes into play, we would just be just struck in awe. By his goodness. And then we begin to sing songs like, Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on me, your child, your grace abounds to me. And we get so stuck on how amazing that he is and how much he loves us that we can't move on. It's like Richard Foster says that our exaltation of God turns into adoration. And that's when we begin to gain a clearer picture of who God is. Pete Greg says something that for me is honestly super uh, uh, convicting, honestly. And he says that the first Christians understood the sovereignty of God in a way that we can't or won't scan the stories of Acts or the words of Paul or Re- John's revelation. And you quickly come to the conclusion that their God was frankly bigger than ours. Isaiah 40, verse 28 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all things. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. Simply put, God is other than us. He's outside of our understanding, of our comprehension. But he reveals himself to us in his kindness over and over and over again so that we can get a fuller and fuller picture of who he is. He's so kind to us in that way. And listen to verse 13. It says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. In the face of an infinite God, who who are we? Who am I? You are this. You are a child. You are a child of a father whose love never runs out. Of a father who never gets tired of you. Who never runs out uh, of joy at seeing you, at spending time with you. A father who never needs a break. A father who loves you painfully well with a tender and a compassionate love. But we, we are, are finite. We have a beginning and an ending. We are weak. We barely make an imprint on the earth. And yet... Listen to what it says in verse 17, the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children uh, of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. When we realize who we are, then we begin to be in this place where we can fully recognize and acknowledge who it is that God is. And by acknowledging God, we are placing ourselves intentionally in a proper place of adoration. We fall to our knees and we cry holy. We're able to sing lyrics like, great are you Lord. It's your breath that's in our lungs, and so with this we cry holy. Uh, we pour out our praise to you. Our our hearts cry and our bones sing that great are you, Lord. We move into a place of adoration where we are now knowing who God is. At least in part, able to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come with all of creation. I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything. And I will adore you. Verse 19, the Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there, he rules over everything. So praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plan, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything that has, He has created, everything in all His kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. And it's here, friends, that we end where we began. In a place of whole-bodied adoration, God is on his throne in his proper place, and we are in our proper place in his presence before him, knowing who he is. In the presence of our Father, whose name is kept holy, our Father who loves us with a never-ending, never-failing love. And it's in this place that we linger before rushing into anything more. Because, friends, if we don't know who God is, then what we're praying doesn't matter. Because when it comes to prayer, the who comes before the how. So, right here and right now, I want to invite you to know who God is. He's the Father who loves you, He's the one who forgives your sins. All of them who restores you to wholeness emotionally, physically, and spiritually. He's the one who fills your life with good things. He brings justice when you're treated unfairly, when you're abused, when you're wrong, when you're wronged by others. He never stops loving you. Even if you screw up, even if you tell him to leave you alone, even if you hurt other people, even if you tell him that you don't need him, his love remains with you forever. And yes, he's bigger than we realize. He's so much more than we could comprehend. His plans, they they stretch out across millennia. And yet, in his kindness, he reveals them to us. One of my current uh, favorite worship songs is a song called Move Your Heart. And it has these lyrics. It's really a prayer of adoration. So I want to read them and then I'm going to pray. I want to move your heart. It's all I want to do. I want to stand in awe and pour my love on you. Right here in your presence, God, is where I want to stay. Just to dwell in your house, waste my hours and my days on you. And Jesus, I pray that this morning that we will be in that place uh, of just wasting our time, lingering here before rushing on to anything else. We want to be in your presence, Jesus. We love you. We are so grateful for you. We we are so grateful for what you've done, for your character, for who you are, and for the ways that you move. And we want to be in your presence. I pray that as we worship right now, that your presence will be strong, that we will be aware of you here in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.